Oh hi y'all, it's Friday, which means you almost made it to the weekend, but before you get there, we are gonna have a great show for you today. We are going to have a great show. Zach will be talking to the Murano sisters, and I'm interviewing actor Annabelle Wallace. So yeah, it's gonna be a great time, so you stick right there, and we will see you on the timeline. And first, we must know that because we are gay, we no longer sit straight in chairs. We're stuck like this. Apparently it's a thing. It's a new thing on Twitter, I hear. on Twitter. I'm Zach Safford, she's Alex Berg, and you are watching AM to DM. And I have never sat straight in my entire life. I couldn't even spell straight if you asked me. <laughs> mm. I didn't realize that this was like a thing. Yes, it's now a thing. There are memes going around. I saw it on Instagram and I've seen it on Twitter. Huh. But I guess queer people just can't sit in a chair. There's a really amazing picture of the Queer Eye guys sitting on stage and they're all like hanging over everything. Oh yeah. It's like, why can't we even sit up? I definitely have been known to like sit cross-legged yeah. in a chair, at yes. a table. Relax. Yeah, that know is why like we do it? Oppression. We just lean. Lean. Because it's really weighing down. I support that. We should do that on the set more often. We should. We should take more breaks. Well, well, beyond that, if you were like us this morning, you woke up to some complicated trending topics. First up, Ooh. we have the latest on R. Kelly. Here's a tweet from the Associated Press. Singer R. Kelly, already facing sexual abuse charges brought by Illinois prosecutors, was arrested in Chicago on a federal grand jury indictment listing 13 counts, including sex crimes and obstruction of justice. Ooh. So this R. Kelly case has been going on for, I would say, decades now, yeah. at least 10 years. Um, we've been talking about it, but it's incredible to see that, you know, we're finally seeing some movement towards justice, we hope, for these, Precisely. For these women. And I think the big thing that we're all thinking about is just justice for the survivors mm -hmm. and the victims and just always trying to center them when we're talking about exactly. these kinds center of stories. Exactly, these stories. That's what's most important now. Well, because the timeline has all the range, here's a tweet from CNN. Over 300,000 people have signed on to a Facebook event pledging to raid Area 51 in Nevada in a quest to see them aliens. And here's a tweet from Tasiana, me explaining to my mom why I need plane tickets to go to Storm Area 51. <laughs> my mom. <laughs> my mother would give me the same face if I said, girl, I need to go to Nevada and go take over Area 51 because that is insanity. But Alex, what is going on? Because you were the first person to tell me this morning that it was trending. Truly, it brought me no joy to walk into the office and say, uh, over half a million people are tweeting about storming Area 51. And from what I understand, there is a Facebook event encouraging yes. this very thing to happen. Yes, and it's not just a Facebook event. This Facebook event, as of last the last hour, has over 400,000 people signing up to Storm Area 51. And it's titled, let me get this right, <clears throat> Storm Area 51, They Can't Stop All of Us. And Alex, do you know what they're meaning by you, they can't stop all of us? You know, I don't, Zach. Why don't you tell me about it? Well, America, they are not only <laughs> arriving at Area 51 to free the aliens, but they're going to do it by, by taking part in what is called a Naruto, Naruto run, I believe. You know, that, that pronunciation, Naruto, Naruto. A Naruto run. There we go, I got a fact check in my ear and it's good <laughs> to go, Naruto. And do you know what a Naruto run is? I sure don't. Okay, so it comes from Japanese anime and what you do, you put your arms like this, you lean down and you just run like this and you run and you run. And what it does is allegedly, according to <laughs> the anime Bibles, um, it creates enough energy with enough people that you can break through anything. So that's how we're freeing the aliens this year. <laughs> How did y'all have that noise so quick? I, I honestly, I, I just, you know, for my, like, I think that Area 51 is actually a military protected area, yes. so. And you'll go to jail if you do this. These 400,000 people want to do this run 
into Area 51. I mean, you know, we talk about on this show that the end of the world is coming because of climate change, that internet cables are drowning underwater. And I just got to say, if we're doing this, we deserve it. Oh, we deserve it. <laughs> well, let's take it to the timeline, y'all. Do you believe aliens even exist? Let us know using the hashtag aim to dm or let me know if you can do the Naruto run better than me. Hmm. I am completely done talking about this. <laughs> completely Fine. done. Okay, we can move on to better matters in the world, like this tweet from Mark Noller. President Trump just told reporters that Secretary Acosta is resigning. POTUS says Acosta called him this morning, and it's Acosta's decision. Joining us now to talk about this breaking story is BuzzFeed News DC Bureau Chief Kate Nocero. Good morning, Kate. Nocero. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. And I called you Nocero, which is a, ma a made-up masculine version of That's God. all right. It's Nocera. <laughs> I am so sorry. Don't worry about it. It's too <laughs> well, early. Oh, my God. It is so early. Well, Kate, was this expected this morning? So, I mean, was it expected... I don't know. On Wednesday, I basically said he's not going to make it to the end of the week after Trump was like, yeah, we're absolutely standing by him. He's done a great job. That's always kind of the kiss of death uh, with Donald Trump. And he says, you're doing a great job and you're a great guy. It probably means you're getting fired in, um, in two days. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, the, the, he did this weird press conference where he got up to try to explain um, what what happened with with negotiating the Epstein deal. And uh, various accounts say that uh, Trump was not super impressed with that press conference. So it's not entirely shocking that he is gone. He Not entirely gone. shocking. But as you said, we will see what happens. Yep. Moving along. Here's a tweet from Zoe Tillman. Trump has backed down on adding a citizenship question to the 2020 census and is instead ordering agencies to provide data to the Commerce Department, a plan the Census Bureau recommended and Wilbur Ross rejected in favor of the citizenship question. Why is Trump backing down from the, since the census citizenship question now? Yeah, I mean, the the what Bill Barr, his attorney general, said yesterday was that uh, they were confident they would win in court. However, uh, it was going to take so long and the litiga litigation was going to be very complicated. Uh, they were fighting this in three different courts across the country um, that they would not actually be able to win in time for the census to get done. Um, so they said that, you know, they were, they were gonna, they were gonna drop it. Um, they felt confident that if they took it all the way to the Supreme Court, ultimately, uh, they would win if they figured out a way to argue it that satisfied this, what, you know, what the Supreme Court said. Um, but that, they wanted the census to get done on time in a timely fa fashion. So they're going with their plan B, which was actually their plan A a year ago. Mm. And what is the timeline of Trump's back and forth on this topic? <laughs> it's been a long week, guys. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's been, so it's been a very... <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> it's been... It's been about five years this week. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the Supreme Court ruled saying it is legal for you to put this question on there. You just haven't made a compelling enough argument as to why. Go back, figure it out. They were trying to drop their lawyers. Courts were saying you can't actually drop your lawyers before you get a new one. They did that in three different courts. Then Trump was tweeting, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. And then finally yesterday gives this press conference with this brilliant uh, new idea that, again, is a year old. 
uh, that they're going to go with with this plan B. Mm-hmm. Huh, well, uh, so. so so what then happens to the? I don't think that made question. any sense, but <laughs> I mean, those I, are the words. I, that I, came I, out I, of my look, mouth. this yeah. is this is where we are right now. So we're with you. But um, <laughs> do you have any idea what happens to the to everything that's going on in the courts now? Yeah, so there's still um, some litigation going on. I mean, they're, they're, they are fighting over the intent, right, over putting the question on the census, whether the government was in fact trying to put it on for discriminatory purposes. Uh, if you recall, the, someone who was really um, pushing this, this Republican strategist who died and his progressive daughter found all of these documents that said, you know, we'll be able to disenfranchise brown and black voters if we... Um, asked this question on the census. They are still fighting over that piece of it. But as far as um, the fight over the question going on the census, those are over. The DOJ has informed the courts that they will uh, be dropping the matter. Well, it is all so much. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Author Molly Jungfast tweeted... Trump opened the White House to, to the trolls in the hopes that they can help him win four more years there. The crowd included some of the most problematic figures on the internet, like Ali Alexander, the guy who started a birther-like smear campaign. She continued, Later, a lawyer named Hermit Dillon got up and floated the no-puppet idea that the tech giants are why Democrats retook the House in 2018. Quote, I'm very concerned that they affect the outcome of the 2018 election. Molly wrote about the so-called social media summit for the Daily Beast and joins us now. Good morning. Hi. So you write that uh, in this event, it was a who's who of conspiracy theorists and grifters. So what was the point of this summit? Well, so I, I think that ultimately the point was to reward the base and to sort of reach out to the people he's going to need for 2020. Mm. And who are these people that were there that he needs, as you say, to win 2020? And what conspiracies have they been peddling over the past few years? Well, there are people like um, Ali Alexander with the birth. I mean, that's a great example because it just happened last week. But Ali Alexander had this birther like conspiracy about Kamala Harris that she wasn't really like a real American black. I don't know what I don't want to even know what that means. Um and it got picked up by all these Russian bot networks. And then even the president's son, Jr., retweeted it. And so that was like a sort of virally smear campaign. And Trump used those in 2016 to win. And so he's hoping, I thought that he was hoping to sort of galvanize those people. And you saw it. I mean, the people there, it was people like um, Benny Johnson, people who ran sort of pro-Trumpy super PACs and uh, people work for Turning Point, that kind of thing. Uh, and Joy Villa, I know you uh, wrote about her in your story. I, I'm kind of obsessed with Joy Villa because she, I, she, I, I, she caught my attention a couple months ago because she wears these like insane pro-Trump dresses. And she wore a dress that was like, that was the wall that was a wall. And today she wore a dress that said freedom at, or yesterday. And then she had a Trump 2020 pin that was all bejeweled. And she's, she's sort of a singer, Scientologist, Trumpy booster. Mm. And across all of these, you know, social media stars that Trump has gathered, how important is white nationalism to many of them? I mean, a lot of them, that's sort of their thing. Uh, It depends on the person. I mean, it was, 
you know, it's an interesting group because these are people who in a normal White House, you, you wouldn't even let them take a tour. And they're like the kind of, you know, he had at one point, he had James O'Keefe stand up and he applauded him. He, you know, he, these are his base and he, these are the people who can get his base excited. And so what I saw was a sort of wanting to get ready to sort of like, you know, galvanize those people for Trump to sort of tell them that he still needed them and that he would still take care of them. Mm. We, we talk a little bit about like the kind of shock and awe of having these fringe figures at yes. the White House, you know, Joy Villa's dresses, James mm-hmm. O'Keefe. Um, but to what extent does having these people at an event like this uh, legitimize them? It, it does. I mean, it's interesting, though. He kept saying in his in Trump's in Trump's quotes, he kept saying things that were like you could tell he was so, he sort of knew they were bad, got bad actors. Like he said, sometimes the stuff you say is a little out there. Sometimes you get to the truth. So it's almost like he kind of knows. I mean, you know, he's sort of famous for saying the quiet part loud. And a couple of times he sort of said the quiet part loud. But yeah, no, it is insane. I mean, this is like we're in this brave new world of uh, social media insanity. Mm, Social media insanity. And speaking of that, what did Trump say about the tech companies and how he would stop them from fixing the problems from 2016? Well, one of the great things about Trump is he's not so great at, at making policy. So he's not, and he's not super interested in it either. So he sort of said, well, we're going to, he said, well, we're going to do things. We're going to, you know, we're going to make executive orders. He has no idea. I mean, the thing that was sort of interesting to me was he spent all this time talking about how his follower account went up and down. Like he didn't totally understand Twitter at all. Like he was like, sometimes it goes up and then it goes down. I mean, that was about five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that you wrote something about like how 2020 is just going to be a real hellscape and, Ooh, that, is, yeah. that is the mood. So, Molly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. The president monitors his social media going up and down as well. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really something to behold uh, the kind of people who got invited to we, this. So, yes, it's, it's a, a stunning moment here in America. So, sure is. Well, coming up, Alex is sitting down with actor Annabelle Wallace to talk about The Loudest Voice, a Showtime series about Roger Ailes and Fox News. But up next, everything is a garbage fire. So let's read some of your fire tweets that help aid that fire. All the garbage men giving us so much garbage news this week. (laughs) Fire! Fire! Welcome back. It's time for fire tweets. Zach holds the flames. I'm going to try holding this I'm going to try. I'm going to get a better one. Uh, There we go. Oh my God, because I'm feeling that whole like anime thing today. Oh, you you are. Are there fire there? I, I, I have to say, like, you know, even though that story I was just like, I roll uh-huh. about, um, I really did appreciate how much you committed to uh, it. I'll you know? always, I'll like, always you really, do this for you. Yeah. I will break barriers for thank you, you with my thank anime. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're and I see it. Yeah. All right, let's get into this. Friend of the show, Josh Gondelman, you tweeted The most self aware I've ever been was when I told a friend, I have a problem that I can solve quickly, but I'd still like to complain about it first. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I appreciate that he can solve it because my biggest issue with uh, people whining about things is that they don't want to actually fix them. They yeah. want to complain about them and that's not productive. No, but I also love that it's like, I know that I can solve this problem on my own and probably very quickly, but I'm still going to whine to you about it because it makes me feel good. It makes me it. feel nice release to whine it. to you. Small therapy. <laughs> All right, Santi, you treat it. Customer. You just lost a customer. I'm never coming here again. Me. <laughs> oh my God. Don't same. come here again. I don't care. I don't care. You didn't spend as much money as you thought anyway. So 
Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Take your card somewhere else. There you go. Jackie, you tweeted. God, I wish I was a missing dog. The attention. <laughs> <laughs> is it good attention when your face is in black and white and bad printer paper no, all over I mean, town? Like, I don't think it's chic. I need me a, a glamorous headshot. I feel like this is from someone who like did not get the love that they needed Ooh. growing up. Wow, yeah. Alex with the armchair side uh, therapy there. And there you. you have it. There you go, man. You can in- invoice me, or I'll invoice you. <laughs> Glue, you treat it. When you are eight shots in and your friends want you to take another one, <laughs> I love that kid is like, no, not me. He's like, but the thing is that I think you and I share this. We don't break to peer pressure. Yeah, uh, but I don't we care. do pressure. No, like, we do pressure. It's true. It's true. Like when I'm in these situations where everybody's like, shot, shot, I'm yep. just like, no, I'm not doing it. Thanks, K, goodbye. But you do the shot. You do the and shot. And I'm going to laugh. Yep. And go to CrossFit. And also laugh at your hangover. Ooh. So, all right, tweet of the day? Yep. Tweet of the day comes from Omogana, me. Twitter is toxic for me right now. I need a break. Twitter goes down. Me. <laughs> <laughs> See, this I place, love this. I'm just like searching. Where is Twitter? This plays into the people who are always complaining about everything. So you're never happy. It does. It's it up, does. down. You just want to complain. But well, it's true. Come at me when you know how to fix Twitter. Yeah. It goes down. Like, Sometimes you be like, an engineer. I'm like, I really should sign off because it's like, isn't good for me to have my face on, in this social media platform all day long. No. And then as soon as it's gone, I'm like, what do I do? What do I do with myself? Where do I go? I feel so lost. Mm. Uh, I, like take, I take a nap. I take a nap. <laughs> well, coming up, you get to see my sit down with Vanessa and Laura Morano producers and stars of the new thriller Saving Zoe. But up next, we are talking about The Lion King. Speaking of complaints. <laughs> okay, guys, welcome back. And before we jump into From A to Z, I have some breaking news from, uh, from CNN that I think you even want to hear, Alex. So as we said earlier in the show, Acosta has resigned and he is now doing a presser with the president himself. The president has just put out a statement saying, quote, he's done a fa- fantastic job. He's a friend of everybody in the administration. Um, and he's went on to say that Acosta did a fantastic job at the presser and that he didn't need to do this. And then this is the best tweet. Trump on Acosta. He's a tremendous talent. He's a Hispanic man. He went to Harvard. There we go. Listing his accolades. Uh, one that is not listed there is that uh, he allegedly uh, did not hold a, a uh, an alleged yes uh, human trafficker yeah. accountable. But he so, went to Harvard. There's that one. Okay. But he went to well, okay. thought you all should know that. Cool. Well, here's a tweet from David Ehrlich. Uh, the Lion King is a disaster. Forget the circle of life. This is the creatively bankrupt work of a studio eating itself alive. It doesn't feel like a remake so much as a photorealistic snuff film. I truly hated this movie. And here's a tweet from KZ Excellent. The funniest thing I've heard from the Lion King remake review so far is that the song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, plays during the day. <laughs> what? How do you fuck that up? What is that cheer for? Why do I hear cheer? That's not cheer. <laughs> that is not something to cheer for. No. That's something you get fired for not You would hear, hope but Can You Feel the, the Love Tonight plays it's tonight. Easy. Tonight means different glowing orb in the sky. Precisely. It's called a moon. The other one. We need a moon. Yeah. Well, you know, people are really upset. I began reading the reviews today, and I'll say this. At best, they are average at the, what everyone's saying. It's garbage. They're yeah, saying it's really worst. bad. Yeah. Yeah, 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 at yeah. worst, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was unfortunate to uh, have to see some of these reviews that really panned it, and uh, I saw some of them said, like, the expectations were just so, 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 so high that, uh, you know, she's 
be prepared mm-hmm. to be disappointed. Which is so sad because, you know, yeah. we had such, or we still have such high expectations. Yeah, we do. You know, this is not ruining my excitement. I'm still going opening weekend. I will be there. But people seem distraught over this. And I think it's because people may have walked in thinking it was going to be just like the, the first time they saw it when they were five, six, seven, or however old. But you were seeing it as a grown person. And it wasn't a real-life version of it, or CGI version. CGI version. No. Yeah, I mean, this got me thinking about who is this for? If you're not a critic, if you are a kid, if you're someone no. who just, like, wants to be entertained by a fun movie with music that is familiar to you, perhaps this is for you, and you'll have a good time exactly. anyways. And it's not that serious. You know, Aladdin dealt with the same thing. People saw Aladdin, and, you know, Will Smith wasn't Robin Williams. Well, of course not, because he's Will Smith. You know, these things change, and you're going to see him at different moments of your life, which means the experience is different. So just sit back and enjoy the fact that it's a complete film that costs $200 million, and Disney's making a lot of money off of it. I mean, that's true. I had a conversation yesterday with Adam Bivari all about how uh, Disney has now reached just incredible, incredible success that is unmatched by anyone else, mm-hmm. and that a lot of these remakes could really dictate the success of the future. So, but you know, I guess we'll have to see if people turn out. Uh, I definitely will want to check this out. So I'm definitely seeing it. Maybe we'll see it together. You know? And I'll have me a cocktail, which makes everything better. Yeah, but, and one of the things that you mentioned earlier, too, was that um, people have been criticizing how much it is, like, a a direct match of the Mm -hmm. original. Yeah, and people are saying, you know, I think there's a scene, I have not seen the film, but I guess when Simba gets held up, he's not held up as dramatically Mm. as is in the film, or he is, or maybe he's cradled differently. I don't know, but they're making it more realistic, and that was the purpose of this film, to give you a more realized... Animal film. An- animal film. That's singing out. an animal so, film. So I think yeah. he does get held up for a moment, but then he's cradled and people have issues with that. But you are just nitpicking. I mean, it's I still mean, Simba. The, yeah, I think like you just it's hard to win with these things because some people uh, want it to be really true to the original yeah. and then other people want it to be a departure. And, uh, you know, I think that this film has even more challenges because uh, it's already on Broadway yes. and the that iteration Huge of success. The Lion King has been so amazingly yeah. successful. Well, you know so. who's going to be successful throughout it all? Beyonce Nils Carter. Her song sure is, is already doing quite well on the Spotify. So uh. stream it, she'll get her Oscar there. She'll be like, bye girls, you, you, may, get, you may be getting bad <laughs> reviews, but I got my Not Oscar. Me. I'm good. <laughs> well, let's take it to the timeline. What film did you love, but the critics hated? Tweet us using the hashtag AM2. Showgirls. Same. Showgirls. Legendary, incredible, amazing film that you, not you all, but this is like critics back then said was garbage. Yeah. And know what I say? You didn't have vision. You didn't have range. You did not see what was happening in this world to make us love Naomi so much. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, obviously Showgirls is an incredibly different movie Mm -hmm. than anything that we've seen from Disney, but it was something that was like so universally hated, like crushed the careers of these Mm -hmm. people and now has a whole other life, so who knows? Look, who knows what's in store for the You too can survive after bad critiques. Remember that. There you go. Well, later on, I chat with the Murano sisters about their new film, which is out today. But up next, Alex is sitting down with actor Annabelle Wallace, so stay tuned. October 7th, 1996. Not a date many of us know offhand, but it's the date when Roger Ailes launched Fox News and forever changed the landscape of cable news. Now there's a new Showtime series that gives us some insight into what went on behind the scenes. Annabelle Wallace is one of the stars of The Loudest Voice, and she joins me now. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to start off, actually, by showing our viewers a little bit of uh, the show to get a sense of it. So let's take a look at this clip. I think about her sometimes. Don't. I feel guilty. She loves you. Laurie, I'm a multifaceted man. My family is only one part of me. Get your uniform. 
I mean, ooh, it just like hits you. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Roger Ailes is right there in that clip. And the series shows how he built Fox News, how he abused his power, and that of course led to women standing up to him and kicking off the Me Too movement. So mm-hmm. how much did you know about that when you joined the series? Um, I'd obviously heard of Roger Ailes, of course, the infamous Fox News, and I didn't know much more than, you know, what we get to observe on screens and in hotel rooms and and obviously coming from England, having a very outside perspective of it. But the more I delved into it, I was so fascinated to find out that this man is, you know, he constructed the world that we live in today that is so much... Um, that it's it's basically we are the product of a Roger Ailes world, you know, and um, we are complicit in the way we use, you know, some of the narrative, the way we we absorb information, how we want to absorb information. I was just fascinated by the whole thing. Mm. Well, you mentioned the word complicit. And, you know, Laurie Loon, the character that you play, she was a a booker at Fox. She herself is really complicated, right? Because she is both subject to this abuse and then also complicit in it. Did you come to understand her through playing her? I did come to understand her. I think it's important to, you know, especially when you're dealing with someone who went through such a harrowing time, to understand why you would make a choice to stay and that perhaps she went through her own abuse when she was younger um, and seeking validation, be it in her work life and her personal life. She seemed to me, um, unfortunately, the type of person that would be drawn to this coercive, abusive, um, unending um, harrowing relationship that she got into with Roger for 20 years. But, you know, he was a fascinating man. He was the most powerful man, one of the most powerful men in America at the time. And there, I think, is a, is a she was like a moth to a flame. She had her own ambitions. She was a very smart woman. She'd created a life for herself and was rising within Fox very fast. And so, you know, it's it's understanding that we all have so many different sides to ourselves and you know, in a pressure cooker environment, who are we? What do we become? You know, what, what, is, what do you compromise when you want power, you want um, all, all the things that you're, you're meant to seek under the guise of the American dream? And so to me, she was a fascinating woman to, to play. And I really empathized with the journey that she went on. And I'm very proud to sit here today, sit amongst my girlfriends, sit amongst the actresses I know, and be having a conversation like the Me Too, the Time's Up, Mm -hmm. and thinking about women like Laurie Lunn, who were real pioneers in the unfortunate side of what happens, but because of their story, she somehow paved the path to a conversation that's happening now. Mm, yeah. So I think it's very important. Mm. Um, one of the things I was so struck by watching this was the physical transformation that all of the actors made. So what was it like watching your friend and co-star Russell Crowe take on Roger Ailes? It was really weird because you get there in the morning and, well, Roger, Russell, and Beth, Sienna, uh, you'd see them in the morning having their coffee and they're all jolly. And I mean, then Sienna is almost unrecognizable. It's unrecognizable. I mean, the, the craftsmanship in makeup and the prosthetics was just phenomenal. And I think it adds so much to character. It adds so much to, to the weight. I mean, he wasn't a healthy man. So there was so much truth in the, the kind of exhaustion in the body. And, and just the kind of 
the oppressive element of how grandiose he was in many ways and and what that's like around physically on screen with with a woman i think it it, it worked incredibly well we mentioned Sienna Miller, one of uh, the other actors on here is Naomi Watts. Mm-hmm. And in dealing with this material, as you mentioned, it's touched so many of our lives. Was was there a sense of camaraderie on set with them? I think so. You know, I think we had all um, got the script when the Me Too movement had was in a, at a very fervent time and very impassioned um, demographic in my industry, uh, feeling very passionate about being heard and um, being seen differently. So when the script came about, I remember speaking to Sienna and, and Naomi and just thinking what a wonderful opportunity it is to be of service to a bigger conversation by telling the truth about something that is so much on the other side of like a fourth wall, mm-hmm. you know, that we don't get, we're not privy to. We see the glossy exterior of, of an incredible business, uh, Fox News, and all that they've created in their lives, but where it comes from. And perhaps there might have been a rot mm. at the core of it that we weren't privy to. And be it if you agree with it or not, it, it's, a, it's a perspective. And I think, you know, information is power. And so it's nice to just give it... A, a perspective mm. of, of things, yeah. Mm. Well, I, I do want to end things on a little oh. high note. Oh, and, oh, yes, on a high note. And you've, you've done so many. <laughs> We're going to switch gears oh, a little yeah. bit. Um, you've done so many uh, great projects with some mm. of Hollywood's biggest stars. So yeah. having you here, I'd be remiss if I did not ask you a little bit about them. And um, I'm just going to throw out a name. and okay. We're going to bring up a little photo. And you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind okay. uh, when, when I bring them up. So let's start with your mummy co-star, Tom Cruise. First thing that comes to mind. Hilarious. <laughs> he is so funny. And I don't think people know that enough about him. He is so cheeky, so funny, so charming. I mean, he's Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, people love the movie Tag. So the mm-hmm. first thing that comes to mind with John Hamm. Devilishly handsome. All right, that, no, I, mean, no, I mean. I mean. That's just, it's okay. We can just tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Handsome man. Yeah. One of our producers is obsessed with you in Peaky Blinders, so we have to ask Killian Murphy. Best actor in the world. Huh. I think so. I think he's a class of his own. And then, uh, you know, finally, King Arthur himself, Charlie Hunnam. Oh, (laughs) the loveliest Brit abroad. He's my pal in LA. (laughs) I'm very happy that he's there. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you for going on this journey with me today. Thank you for talking to me about this series. I appreciate it. Thank you. And if you're looking for some gripping television, check out Annabelle in The Loudest Voice on Showtime. Up next, there's more AM to DM. Here's a story from Mississippi Today. Robert Foster, GOP governor candidate, denies women reporter access because of her gender. Joining me now to talk about the story is that reporter, Larison Campbell. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. All right, now I know this has been an interesting couple of days, um, but take us back a little bit. What happened when you asked to cover Republican state representative Robert Foster's campaign to be the governor of Mississippi? Sure. So, I mean, one of the first things that I kind of want to point out is that this is a this is a candidate I've had a long-standing working relationship with. And so, um, you know, I've covered a bunch of stories about him. I broke the uh, news that he was actually running for governor eight months ago. And so when it came time to cover this story and pitch this ride along, which was going to be a day-long sort of in-depth view of his campaign, 
I went directly to him. I called him up over the weekend. He said he'd talk to his campaign. He'd get back to me. His campaign director called me on Sunday. Everything sort of seemed to be falling into place. We set the date for Thursday. He gave me the itinerary. Um, and then at the very end, he said, uh, by the way, though, I have a weird request. And he actually said a weird request. He said, could you bring along a male colleague? And I, you know, of course, <laughs> never had that kind of question asked. So um, I said, probably not. Let me talk to my editor. Talked to my editor. You know, he agreed with me that it was a, it was a sexist request um, to make me kind of go that extra mile and, you know, have a have a male chaperone essentially. So we told I told him no the next day on Tuesday, and I was surprised actually. I thought there'd be some wiggle room. You know, I wear my press credentials very visibly. I do that sort of thing, but they drew a line in the sand. He was not going to you know have me along on this uh, to cover this you know full campaign day, and um, I was not willing again to bring a male colleague along. So the story fell apart. Uh, yeah, I mean, what was the Foster campaign's justification for not wanting you to interview him? You know, it's kind of shifted a little bit. Um, in the beginning, it was uh, very clearly, I mean, it has always been this idea of wanting to avoid the look of impropriety. You know, at, at the beginning, they said it was because they were worried that like an opposing campaign might try to snap a photo of him out on the trail and, you know, use it in sort of like a smear campaign against him to make to insinuate that he's having an affair. Um, but, you know, in the last couple of days, he's been positing it sort of as this Billy Graham rule, which is anything. It's a sort of compact he made with his wife, he said, um, to never be alone with another woman. And that is to, you know, preserve the bonds of his marriage, as he said, and also, again, to avoid this appearance of impropriety. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, women cover uh, local and national campaigns all the time, and uh, yes. this is not a, a thing that happens uh, regularly, um, where pictures of reporters are, are used uh, uh, with male candidates to make these kinds of insinuations. What, no. What, what message do you think that sends? Like, what, what does that say about you as a woman and the way this campaign might view you? Yeah, I mean, that, that's it's a great question. I mean, what it basically says is you are, you know, you are a woman. And therefore, if someone sees you, even in a work context, they're going to see you as a sexual object first and automatically assume that you're not there to do your job, even if you're wearing press credentials, um, that you are there because of some, again, improper relationship with this candidate. I mean, the Billy Graham rule on its face, this idea that like a man can't be alone in the room with a woman. Um, it's It's really about you know, men not wanting to do the work here. Like it's about this changing dynamic, you know, in the last several decades where women have these roles that are equal to men in the workforce. Men have these sort of outdated viewpoints or value systems where they're not really accustomed to seeing women in this way. And instead of working to change the way they see women, to change the way they interact with women, they're saying, I need you to do this additional thing. I need you to provide a male to make me more comfortable. No, like get over it do the work, fix it. It is their problem. They should fix it. Yeah. And Bree Newsom tweeted, just saw a CNN segment about men refusing to work with women because of a fear of impropriety or being falsely accused. Nobody points out that women can't make a similar refusal to work with men or we'd have no jobs. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> women in the workplace. How do attitudes like this just really hold us back? I mean, it's absolutely true. You know, I think one of the interesting things here is that as a journalist, you know, my job is, you know, I think people talk a lot about, you know, especially in today's sort of climate with journalism, they talk about the First Amendment, they talk about sort of, you know, 
this idea of freedom of the press. And freedom of the press is on one hand, you know, the right to publish whatever you want, but it's also at least as much about access. And if you're not getting access to the stories, then you aren't actually, you know, that that is that's sort of prohibiting um, freedom of the press in a way, you know, that is not allowing me to do my job. That is more than half the battle when it comes to telling a story is getting access to that story in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, Foster has doubled down and tweeting, quote, I refuse to change my moral stance on any issue because it's not popular among the radical left. My wife in the state of Mississippi deserve a governor who doesn't compromise their beliefs and I'm sticking to my guns. What's your response to that? Well, I mean, first of all, we have a governor right now who I'm pretty sure doesn't follow that rule. He's a Republican governor and a very, very strong uh, right wing Republican governor. Um, you know, his uh, chief policy director, one of his top attorneys, they're both women. You know, he would not be able to do the job that he's doing right now if he didn't have, you know, if, if he adhered to this rule. And I cannot imagine that, you know, this uh, that uh, Representative Foster in a state that it has a million and a half women in it could effectively govern if he couldn't be alone in the room with any of them, except for his wife. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is one big question here is um, how do you, how could you possibly do your job uh, in which uh, there are women who are in the workplace and you refuse to be alone? And, and I have to say, we reached out to uh, Foster's campaign for comment in advance of the segment and we did not hear back. So Lara, huh. yeah, so thank you so much uh, for joining me this morning. No, thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Absolutely. And up next, we are talking to the delightful Murano sisters, stars and producers of the new thriller, Saving Zoe. Okay, welcome back, y'all. I'm sitting down with Vanessa and Laura Murano, producers and stars of the new thriller, Saving Zoe. How are y'all? We're so oh, good. We're so you're, good. We're so excited to be here. You're Thanks for dancing, having us. Dancing, energy. I gotta I tell you, that was like some some jams that I was not expecting to be the intro to this. I I feel like when you say the word jam, you have to dance yes. while saying the word, there right? You go. Yeah, yeah. Just like you just can't say jam it, like this. No. Make it a little awkward, right? Just yeah, like. totally. <laughs> this is everything I've ever wanted and more. You're welcome. I'm gonna assume this is jet lag right now. Dancing. I don't know, I don't what, know it what it is. is. It's not know what it's pushing you through. But I will say the music just very much energized Thank you. I, 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 you know, I appreciate it myself. Thank yeah. you. I, I had a feeling. Mm. Well, let's jump into your, your new film, which is based on Alison Noel's book, Saving Zoe. Mm -hmm. And it's about a teenager trying to discover the truth behind her sister's murder through her diary. What was it like to enter the story with your actual sister? Well, we've been a part of this project for such a long time. Mm -hmm. We optioned the book 12 years ago, wow. if you can yeah. believe it. Yes. 12 with years? our mom. Yes. Yeah. I was 11, wow. Vanessa's 14. Wow, business um, ladies. Better oh believe wow. it. Wow, girls well, doing it for themselves. <laughs> better believe it. Um, and we actually produced the movie, and this is our first mm -hmm. movie that we've um, ever produced. So I think, you know, for us coming in as actresses, we knew the characters so mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. um, and got to live with them for yeah. 12 years. And live with 10 years. your acting partner for 18 of those years. <laughs> and it's so interesting that you mentioned that you got the book when you were young teenagers and mm -hmm. that you've been producing it and creating it for this all this time and you grew up together as sisters. So how did these two characters compare to one another? Well, unfortunately, I think Echo and Zoe, who are the sisters we're playing, I'm playing Echo, Vanessa plays uh, Zoe, um, they definitely don't have um, as close of a relationship as Vanessa and I have. Mm. Um, it's interesting because, you know, uh, Laura and I are very close and have been very close for a really long time and I think relate to each other very well and, and Echo and Zoe don't necessarily have that, which I know a lot of siblings who have that relationship, mm -hmm. but what we loved so much about the book and what we saw ourselves in is the love and the connection that you do have with a sister mm -hmm. transcends all of that. 
Mm. Like yeah. there is just something that you feel for your sister and the fact that Echo tragically loses Zoe before she really has a chance to reconcile with that and really explore that and what that could change in their relationship. It's unfortunately too late. Mm. But I think the film ultimately, even though it's a dark topic and it's a thriller and it's very intense, is a story about love mm. and how love transcends grief. It, mm. it doesn't matter if you lose someone, that love is still there. Yeah. Oh, love transcends, transcends grief. I cannot say transcend. Transcends grief. <laughs> Woo, y'all, it's a morning. It's a morning. So you Jet all... Lag. <laughs> I actually am... T- no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you all made this film with your mother. So do you have any advice with working with your family? Because with sisters, I could do something with my sister, but also my mom. It yeah. feels like a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, was a I, lot. I think we all definitely love each other and we all definitely want to kill each other. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> And she would sit on this couch and say the exact same thing. She'd be like, I love my daughters and I wanted to murder them. (laughs) Which is crazy because it's a story about murder. (laughs) There's like levels to this. Y'all are trying like art mimics life in a way. Well, I hope neither one of you dies. No, I hope so. And my mother... Um, and all of us have not murdered anyone, so that's all a good yeah, thing. Yeah, no one's going to jail for any of that. So um, it, it's good on our end. But I will say, filming it, it was just something that we all put our heart and mm-hmm. soul into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that did go into, like, we weren't sleeping very much. We shot the movie in 15 days. Two, really? A whole movie. Two weeks in one day? Yes. Oh, my God. I yes. can't even keep a man that long. You made a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was very intense. But it was something that we really believed in and we were so passionate about. So I think we just all very much connected. And whenever things got heated or, mm-hmm. you know, lack of sleep or whatever, I think at the end of the day, we all knew how much this movie meant to each yeah. one of us. That that always helped kind of bring us down. years. Like, it, it becomes... The film, in a weird way, is almost like a member of the family yeah. at this point. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah. it was the 10 years to get it made. It was the shooting process, the editing process, the mixing process, the two years to get it distributed. Now the the marketing aspect mm-hmm. and like us being able to share it with the world and go out and encourage people to go see it on yeah. July 12th. And I, I really feel like it, it became its own like sister mm-hmm. to us and like its own daughter to my mm-hmm. mom as totally. a result of that. Wow. So tell me about, since this is such a familial type of project for Mm -hmm. you, what made you choose Equality Now as the partner to such an intimate project? You know, it's interesting. So uh, that was greatly related to my sister and my mom. Laura had worked with Equality Now at a gala um, and had uh, performed a monologue uh, that was about... uh, girls who were victims of mm-hmm. sex trafficking and they got a bunch of young actresses together to perform these monologues it was a really really powerful mm-hmm. gala and uh, Laura was in contact with them as a result of that as soon as we finished editing Saving Zoe knowing that our project deals with the topic of online sexual exploitation mm-hmm. we were like we really want to partner up with a charity to A. better educate ourselves B. be a partner with us on how we can politically change this system and draw attention to it and and, and C, just really, I think, get their input also to know, like, did we do a good job? Are we doing yeah. the right thing? And mm. we sent the film off to Equality Now, which is my mom's decision. She contacted them, and they wrote back and were like, how do we get involved? Yeah. How do we do this? Like, we really, really want to work with you. And they're such an incredible organization. They uh, do legal advocacy for young girls, older women, just females in general, domestically, internationally. It's, it's a group of lawyers who are changing laws. And, and that's what we really hope happens with Saving Zoe mm-hmm. is we want a conversation to start amongst 
girls who are in our age group amongst mothers and daughters. And hopefully through that conversation, some real change can be made. Mm, Real change. And I I believe it will because, you know, whenever I see projects like this align with the perfect partner, change has to happen. So thank you for creating that partnership. So moving past this work, you all have been in lots of films, but I want to bring up, Laura, The Perfect Date, mainly because Noah Centineo is in it. (laughs) it. He's been on the show. Knowing him on a real level, is he worth all the hype? (laughs) Oh, I think so. I I love Noah. I've known Noah since I've been 16. Really? Um, Yeah, he was um, on Austin Alley. This is the second time he's playing Laura's boyfriend. Oh my God. Yes, well, love interest. (laughs) Alley and Dallas didn't actually end up being together. He's not my man, girl. Don't try it. They awkward. This is also the second time you've awkwardly danced, danced with yes, him. Yes, but they didn't get together because Dallas said library is the mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, um, oh, but, you really vividly remember those episodes of Austin and Alley, don't oh, you? Oh, I remember everything. <laughs> He's such a good guy, mm-hmm. and it was really special, I think, coming on to The Perfect Date, which was actually called The Stand-In mm-hmm. originally, um, and working with him five, six years later um, and seeing how much we both have grown mm-hmm. and... Literally in height. Yes, and he's very he tall. is very tall. <laughs> yes. and, but he's, he's just still the same awesome guy. He's awesome. It's amazing. He, do you ever see the billboards of him in the Calvin Klein? Isn't he in the Calvin Klein? Um, I actually haven't, but I know, yes, I yes. know when he did, like, it, it's hilarious um, because <laughs> it's just so funny working with him for so long mm-hmm. and working with him on The Perfect Date. You know, we did The Perfect Date and filmed it before All the Boys came out. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, before even The Kissing Booth had come out. Wow. Um, so we were not in the renaissance of rom-coms quite yet, um, and it's crazy mm-hmm. how it just, he blew up in the past year. It was nuts. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's, he's everywhere. I, I think he deserves it. He does. But speaking of everywhere, Vanessa, you were part of Gilmore Girls. Yes. Iconic, one of my all-time favorite shows oh, ever. Mine too. I was a big fangirl when I got that part. I mean, you were fantastic as April Nardini. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Not oh. everyone feels that same way. So I know. There's you. a love-hate relationship <laughs> there. I see. I was a big fan. I yes. loved how you treated uh, Rory uh, personally. I think everyone needs a little bit of tough love at times. Mm-hmm. But did you and the cast ever discuss who you think the father of Roy's child was. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, first of all, um, Vanessa guessed what the last word, like, really? four words were as a joke. So when we when we came back for uh, the Netflix special, mm-hmm. uh, Year of the Life, Gilmore Girls, uh, we not all of the cast members had the full script. As a matter of fact, I don't think the last four words were even written in to the full script. Amy was like, mm-hmm. when we shoot the scene, I'm going to give you the page to wow. Lauren and Alexis. So no one knew, really, except mm-hmm. for I believe, Amy and Dan and Lauren and Alexis and the crew yeah. that was there. Uh, maybe a few other cast members, but I'm pretty sure it was not in, like, it was not in the finished yes. script. Uh, so... One of the questions we all kind of got asked, knowing that it wasn't in the script, was what do you think it is? What do you think it is? What do you think it is? And as a joke. On the red carpet, I remember, we were there. I was like, I think it's, Mom, yeah, I'm pregnant. <laughs> what made you know this was gonna happen? I don't it, know. It was a joke. It was literally joke. I was like, I was watching I was it. Like, What's the least likely thing it would be? It would never ever be that she got pregnant. Well, because also Amy like had that vision mm-hmm. um, when Rory was still in college. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of nuts. <laughs> thinking that, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, I was apparently we were watching it and just I was freaking. Yeah. Out. So like we've just had our own discussions again as a family watching it with my cousin Tina because we literally watched the whole thing mm-hmm. right when it came out after Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving week. And like I don't, I don't know. I oh. just don't think. Like I, I heard a, a crazy theory that like 
it is Logan's because he's her Christopher yeah. and Jess mm-hmm. is her Luke, so then he's going to be like whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It could be the guy in the Star Wars costume. I feel like it's the guy in the mm-hmm. costume. But I, I do kind of like that um, theory and that like yeah. drawn of I like Chris to and Logan. that uh, Jess and Rory had a moment off camera that we were not <laughs> to as an audience member, and it's Jess's. But you're channeling. You were yeah. channeling it. There you go. Oh my god! Did they freak out when you said that at all? I don't know because I did, it was it was after the premiere like it was I mean it was during the premiere it hadn't aired yet but like it had been shot mm-hmm. like I, no one said anything no one was like so oh, you were not shame. in trouble I, how could I? How could you be? It was a joke. It was well, real. Well, I'm now nervous to be around you because you may tell me my future. And there you go. fun fact, I don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> don't awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming today. It's been so lovely having you. I'm glad to see my old best friend from Gilmore Girls is here <laughs> yep. and doing well and thriving. Well, Saving Zoe is in theaters today, and you can watch it even on video on demand. Don't go away. There's more AM to DM up next. It's time for Add Us. And it's a fun part of the show, everybody. Last thing before the weekend. And it's also Friday. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. We get oh. to talk to you, and we get to go home and do other things after this. Weekend. Actually, we don't actually go home right after this. No, we're, we're not. After we're work. not. We're so saying that. We are here, but we are excited to go through your tweets today. Yeah. Uh, but that was a great show. It was such a good show. I loved your interview. Thank you. So much. But I also have to say I love being able to sit down with Vanessa, who I did like. I felt I related to her. Yeah. That character. They were so fun. They were so fun. And they were very, like, 12 years old you've optioned That's off a book so like wild. at 12 i was trying to like get a facial face wash wash thing down so anyway. at 12 i was probably watching the lion king <laughs> <laughs> true 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 let's be honest okay well we'll get to that one but first we asked you if you believed in aliens and km says i do but sadly they would never come here with the amount of orange stupid on this planet right now that is an amen or maybe they are coming to end it all i don't know but let's be honest like what they probably would come to earth and be like we don't want this shit like this little you know, they're about sky. to pull up to Earth, and they're like, bothered. "Actually, go never mind. Keep going. Go, go. Next one. Next one. Next one. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wanted to know what film do you love that the critics hate? Kev says the Lady Killers. I don't know the I Lady Killers. I've seen that. You know. Okay. Yeah. But okay. I will know? check it out, Kev. I trust you. Thank you for standing in your truth. Yes. Always standing in your truth, Kevin. Uh, Machine Age Knife Magician added Suicide Squad, which I will defend to the mat as a fantastic Harley Quinn origin story with an unreliable narrator. <laughs> narrator. Uh, guys, are you seeing that? Gives the whole game away. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is kind of one. <laughs> this is like this movie's such a guilty. Guilty pleasure. I liked it. Yeah. I, I like Harley Quinn. I can Quinn. still remember where I saw it and everything. I like her a lot. Yeah. yeah I, I agree you know, with you. I'm here for my complicated bisexual <gasps> That's right. Yeah. She yeah. is a bisexual anti-hero. Yeah. She is you in that universe. Yeah, I know. And now we're going to go on like, well. Are you an anti would, would I be that <laughs> terrible? I don't know. I mean, there is another Harley Quinn movie coming out. So we won't even, this is just going on okay. a whole other Sorry. tangent. Sorry. So thank I, you to our guests. <laughs> Sorry. I could go on and on. I just get so excited for my I know. I know. I know. We have it. It's there. I, and she's same, great. So, same. All right. Well, thank you to our guests, Kate Nacera, Molly Jongfast, Larison Campbell, Annabelle Wallace, and Laura and Vanessa Morano. Mm, and next week, we've got poses Ryan Jamal Swain, Gina Torres, Kathy Griffin, Diane Kruger, and more. And we'll be back here Monday at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. We are really giving you the most Friday mood in this whole segment. We really are. <laughs> this isn't water. <laughs> I'm joking. It is. <laughs> Live.